Hello and welcome back to the Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is Festival of Nights competitor, Mikey Allahan. How's it going, buddy? Doing swell. Currently out in Milwaukee visiting some friends. Um, as many of you have heard, unfortunately, someone from the Sad Nas crew, Kian, has uh, passed last week, so I came to uh, show my respects, hang out with Adam a little bit, and, you know, just kind of... Uh, Celebrate uh, Kian's life. Uh, last night we were at Adam's Game Store until about like midnight, and that was awesome. A bunch of us got together, we had some drinks, and you know we're just doing exactly what Kian would want us to keep doing and pushing on, playing Magic, and it was a good time. I I cracked a bunch of products. I tried to just like go infinite, where it's like I cracked a box of Modern Horizons two, then I put that into another box, put that into collector boosters. I think I opened like almost two thousand dollars worth of product. It was a ton <laughs> of fun, and Adam Adam is a great host. Anyone who's in the Milwaukee or Madison area or just Midwest in general, you got to go to the Mana Vault. Adam knows like, all, all the guys who work there know a great time, and it was a lot of fun. I, I usually don't open packs, so it was, it was fun. Just you know, I put some money into one box, and I just try to see how far it could go. And, it was great. Uh, I ended up super negative. Shocking. Who knew? But uh, I had a blast, and Adam and all the people at the store had a blast, too. I'm just, like, cracking a stupid amount of product, just seeming like, okay, I got $50 from this one, so now I get a collector booster, and then let's see what happens in this. And one of the collector boosters I got for Commander Masters actually had a full art foil uh, Deadly Relic, as well as a regular foil Deadly Relic. So they were in the same pack back-to-back. So it was fun. Like, a lot of cool hype moments. Uh, would recommend, uh, while it's a little bit upset, but, you know, it was a great time. So I, I, I it was a very fun night and a very nice, um, like I said, celebration for everything that, that brought us all together and why we all liked Kian to begin with. And so it was a good time. Definitely needed it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's that's super awesome. I, I am legitimately, like, my spirits are uplifted hearing that people still, like, do that kind of thing. Uh, my parents, actually, they, they're the ones that taught me magic, right? And how they got their collection was, you know, in the early days, in the land before time, back before TCG Player and all that stuff. Like, this this practice was pretty common. People would, like, buy a bunch of product, open a bunch of stuff, and then, like, sell the big money stuff to make back their money. And just, like, hustle people, whatever. Be like, yeah, those cards, whatever. You know, things were different in that time. You could, like, maybe do some skamazing and all that kind of stuff. But, um... And you, and you just keep all the rest. Like, you sell the big ticket stuff and keep all the rest, and you basically build up a collection of absolutely everything. So they had some friends that, like, did that with their spare time and, like, with Revised and all those kinds of sets. And uh, so they got a collection of very early Magic cards, and that's that's what I learned to play on. And uh, I've seen people do this in the uh, the current day. Um, it's been a few years at this point when, you know, other shops have opened up, and it's really, really a really cool experience. It's underrated I think among the people that we surround ourselves with, that just like spike a path, only ever buy singles, all that kind of stuff. I think it really loses the plot as to like how fun opening packs of magic cards actually is. And it's it's a really, really awesome experience. It's it's, it's awesome to hear you like just getting in, getting dirty, doing all that. Yeah, it, like I said, it was a ton of fun. Then other people started to try to like high roll on packs. Someone actually yeah. pulled uh, open one pack of Commander Masters. Um, Electro Booster, and they got like the Ur Dragon special foiling. I, I don't, I can't keep up with all the different foiling names. So but they got like one of the chase, they got one of the chase cards from that, and they used that. They put it into a Fierce Guardianship from the new set. It was just a lot of fun, and it was just like a really, like I said, it was just a great way. We're, you know, we've all had a pretty rough week, and it was like, you know what? Let's have some fun. I'm gonna, we're all gonna crack open packs. It's like I got the boxes, and I wasn't just opening the packs myself. It's like everyone come over here, open a pack. Let's see who gets the best one. We were playing Pack Wars, you know. I was giving like if. Someone opened something that they just needed. I was like, here you go, just have it. So great experience. Um, would do again. And it was definitely, like I said, it was we, we all came together and it was just something that was really nice. And I think we all needed this kind of just like cathartic, you know, we're just kind of messing around having fun and helping each other out type of thing. 
one last point on this kind of thing before we move on. Do you, are you are you familiar with what pack poker is? Have you ever done that? Is that the? I think some people call it like Pygal, right? It's like you have like a three card deck and infinite life, infinite mana. No, no, this is just straight gambling. It's uh, you oh, sit down, you, okay. you sit down with some friends and you all open your packs, and whoever opens the most expensive rare or mythic or whatever gets everything. Oh, okay, yeah, that's like pack wars. I, I do it with CMC. Like the highest CMC gets both packs. Sure, basically. yeah, I've, I've heard CMC. Yeah, yeah. I've heard people do with CMC. Uh, I think my friends, we always did it with just like whatever your rare is worth. Like so, like if there's a funky expensive uncommon, who cares? But like whatever your rare is worth, uh, look that up, and you'll uh, whoever whoever gets it gets the packs. It was really sexy to watch people do that with like Modern Horizons, where it'd be like two fetch lands are open, but one's ahead by like a dollar. It's <laughs> like rake in like triple their money or something insane. Uh, anyways, yeah. it was. I, lo- I love all that shit. Yeah, that's always yeah, great. some fun oh. degeneracy. I've done some. I've done a little bit of of uh, game store degening in my days, and uh, yeah, you just walking through it makes me really nostalgic. I need to make my way out to a game store again. Start doing some mm. just absolute nonsense with some packs. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Either way, all our our memories of just busting packs like a degenerate aside. Uh, yeah, you have been playing some CDH recently. I, I think, like, we called this out in the last podcast with you, just, like, playing more CDH than I've seen you play in months, all the stuff you've been doing, and uh, you registered for for Festival of Nights. So a lot of what I want to talk about here today is what that was like for you, what your deck selection process was like, and what your experience was in event, because we did a little bit of talking, but not a ton during your preparation, and, uh, yeah, just hit me with some knowledge. How did that go? Um, overall, it went very well. So I went into the tournament. Um, this is like my first CDA tournament that I've ever played in. Like I played in some like smaller like locals, but you know they're they're like forty people. But this was like the first time it's going in like a hundred sixty person cap. It fired with like one hundred fifty three. So this was definitely my first like real exposure to it. Despite running tournaments for like you know the past year and a half, this was the first time I was actually a player. And uh, as terms of prep. Definitely did not prep very much because it was more of like I just wanted to you know kind of try to do it and like Zay and I have a little bit of a rivalry going on like they're they're definitely much more of like the grinder and I've kind of eased more into this whole uh, full time to type of job so he can, him and I just like to bicker a lot about things and he'll always just be like scoreboard like you never top sixteen event I was like I bet I'll go to festival and do decent deal with it so I went. I ended, my record was 2-3, and I dropped at the end of day one, because it was a seven-round event, so I, I was very much live to get in the top cut. Um, but I really just wanted to go just to, like, see, like, okay, how would I fare? Can I get my two wins? And then after that, just, like, call it a day. And overall, it was a pretty good experience. I brought Armix Krom. Um, dot, I didn't put, like, a ton of thought into that deck selection. It's just the deck I've been playing a lot. I like it. I know that Kinnon, Sisse, and like all these other decks are being played a lot, so I was like, oh, Armix in the command zone, that'll help me deal with these things, or if someone drops like an annoying stacks piece like Opposition Agent, it's nice that I can remove it on my terms and then try to pop off. Uh, so a lot of it was just a comfort pick, um, and I do think it was, at the time, I thought it was relatively well-poisoned to the meta, and uh, I ended up walking away and being like, okay, I think it's time to just shelf Armix forever. Or not forever, but at least for now. Because the way that a lot of my games went were... The ones that I won, I felt I was kind of just an NPC in those games. And this is something Jorman, who actually won the whole event on Tim Necrom, also kind of agreed with. Like, the games that we win, we just kind of sit there, just don't look like the threat, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, here's a Nods with, like, double backup. Or, like, here's Underworld Breach and just the, the natural combo because I drew it and I was just sitting here and, like, let everyone kind of use up their interaction. Sort of like the Brian Koval uh, school of thought, where it's like, I'm going to let other people go off first. And... 
while that did work for some of those for like the games that I won, I felt like I was just always on the back foot because I had to hope that either the interaction of my hand could stop the more aggressive deck or someone else at the table can stop the more aggressive deck. And I'm kind of with Zane right now that Rogside just seems like the way to go right now. Because while um, it's consistently fast, consistently gets advantage, and even when you go against like some of these Staxley pods, like there was a bunch of pods that had Sissy and Antium at this tournament. Tyam was actually like pretty big. This is the first in-person tournament I can think of where I saw a lot of Tyam. I know we see it a lot in Mox Masters, but in person, this was the first time I saw it. It's Tyam decks, and it's just you just get under them. And you're able to consistently just get there turn two, turn three. You kind of just win before these decks get to set up. And that's something I even noticed. Like while I said I was kind of just being the NPC a lot of these games, um, the games where I lost, it's because I try to go off first. I was like, oh, time's not set up yet. Since he's not set up, I'm gonna just like slam the win. And then so when I got stopped, and then the person in like next in turn order went for the win, and then they won because the interaction got used up on me. So I just feel like just being able to outrace these decks is kind of just the solution. So you want to play something like Rockside Najila or you know just something that's able to consistently put pressure on the table and make and you're the one asking the question. And Armix just it felt like unless I have the soul read where I just get it out turn one because I know someone has an Oppo in hand. It just didn't. I'd ever cast it. I literally cast it once all weekend and I cast it because I want to use it for calling the week. So Rog would have just been better in that spot anyway. And that's kind of like the big takeaway. It's just the meta is evolving a lot. It is extremely fast. If you're playing these slower decks, you need to be ready to stop two people and then try to go for it. And I think it's indicative when you look at the final pod. I know that Sisse was there um, as well as Niv. And those are two decks that kind of excel at stopping multiple people at once because Sisse has a bunch of hate pieces they can just tutor for. Uh, Niv, um, Niv Mizzaparoon, Sean, granted, they're an amazing pilot. But there's two Nivs in top 16. I don't think that's a coincidence. That deck has so much interaction. And on top of that, if you get the Niv out, you're also answering the creature stuff. That's usually harder for your counter spells to hit because you're able to just kill their combo pieces. It's like, oh, you put in a meal on the stack. It's like, uh, here's a spell. I draw a card. Someone can can you cast one more spell so we can kill this Dockside real quick? It, it's really easy to get there. And I think that's something that we saw. The, the control decks that made it far were the ones that are built to answer multiple people. The ones that are trying to do the more fairy mid-range stuff where it's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here, draw cards, chill. It kind of just lost a lot. Like in Jorman's semifinals game in top 16, he uh, uh, comboed through three different Ristic studies and just was able to win. Like you really need to like have so much interaction or have all the right hate pieces that you can get at the right time, or you're just kind of throwing away so much equity by just not being the fastest deck in the room, in my opinion. I think, wow. So there's, I mean, there's just a lot to unpack and a lot that I want to reconcile because as you're talking... I am you able to piece together kind of pieces of my experience from Cookout, which we talked about, I believe, in our previous episode. At this point, it's been a few weeks. But, like, my conclusions were that, like, when I brought Rogside to Cookout, the deck was powerful, and there are some games that, like, I won. But in general, all of my wins were, like, Thoracle wins underneath some, like, stacks pieces and stuff that I could I had a little bit of protection for or whatever. I didn't really have the experience of blowing the doors off my opponent that you seem to want to reach for. And even even in when you were just talking just now, you called out that uh, when you would try to combo some kind of quick nods or whatever with your Armix Chrome deck, you would get stopped and then the win would just be handed to the next person in turn order or whatever. I had a lot of that experience playing Rogside. Like, you... This turn of setup that you're implying, for from my experience, a lot of it's just turn one. When you're talking about disciplined CDH players, a lot of them seem to be more or less entirely set up, ready to go, after turn one 
Like, they at least have some kind of interaction online. They've produced enough mana that, like, it's possible that they're representing something that can interact with you. And, and it's real. Like, I faced down enough interaction that there'd be hands I kept that were, you know, whatever, two to three win attempts back to back. And that just isn't good enough. Like, starting on turn two, trying to win turn two, three, and four. Stop, stop, stopped. Win gets picked up off the ground. Which is the kind of wins that, that you're talking about were kind of what your wins looked like. And, like you referenced before, is the kind of wins that I think you are worse at than Timna decks because that is the Timna plan, right? Timna very much is like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to sit around with some interaction and just draw little chunks of cards. Nothing threatening, just three cards, three cards, three yeah, cards. Yeah, no, two to three cards a turn. No, don't pay attention to me. It's yeah, fine. Don't, don't pay attention to me. This isn't a Nas. I mean, look at how slow. I mean, this thing, what is this, a Grey Ogre with lifelink? Come on. And that's very much Koval's plan is deflect, let other people combo, accumulate, accumulate. It sounds like Jorman was executing that. And it sounds like basically your deck didn't actually represent itself as a worse Rock'sai. It represented itself as a worse Blue Farm or TNK or whatever you want to call it in this event. Because it sounds like the direction that your game plans were pulled was in the direction of deflect away, like push push the, uh, the threat senses away from you and onto other people while you accumulate advantage. And that's just something Timna is better at than any other commander in the format. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like previously, the way that I would um, describe Armix Krom is, you ha it's kind of like a spectrum. Rock size on one end, it's the fastest, most proactive. Timna Krom is on the other end, it's the most grindy. Not to say like w once again, Timna Krom can still go fast, but in general, in the abstract, like it's the grindiest one. You have two commanders that draw cards. You get the white cards. You get Esper Sentinel. Your silences, your Ranger Captains, like all this stuff that just lets you play a better long game. And then Armix Krom is kind of in the middle where we have an easy-to-cast commander with Armix, like it's, you know, a Jeweled Lotus away or one black and two colors away, and you get it out, and then it enables some of those free interaction spells that we like to talk about, pulling the weak Diabolic Attend, etc. But you're not as grindy, so you're, you're not as fast as Roxy, you're not as grindy as Timna because you don't have the white cards, you don't have a Timna, but you have this commander that's pretty easy to cast, and then it gives you this other pivot where you're able to just remove threats. And something that I... Um, neglected to mention during when I did my whole little like torment recap is I went against a ton of Tivit. Tivit is just so popular right now, and Armix is not good at answering Tivit. So that might also <laughs> Hard be part of the kill. reason. Six artifacts is a lot. Exactly, it's a lot of artifacts, and even then, it's like I pitch a card, then I have to pay three to do the ward cost. Mm -hmm. And maybe my opinion would be different if I went against a lot more Kinnon because there's also a lot of Kinnon uh, registered. But it's still just the way that I felt was like I'm not playing a good enough grind game to where I can just sit here and just you know, draw cards all day and then go off. And I wasn't able to get under decks as effectively as Rockside because there's the amount of games where I was just staring at like a Diabolic Intent in hand. It's like, cool, I'm like one tutor away from winning, but it's like, wait, I need to take the turn off first to cast my Armix and then go from there. And it just felt like it doesn't really fit any niche right now because a good way to kill a lot of these creature decks, like even Sisse, like Sisse has to run so many combo pieces and so many tutor targets that the interaction suite is extremely low. Like if you look at Malcolm's list, the one that he's been doing well with at Punt City 2, he did very well at Festival, obviously, made it to Finals. There's, like, three or four counterspells in that deck. So it kind of goes back to this Mardu Summer thing, where it's like, okay, I can't deal with, like, a lot of these creature hate bears that they're going to get out, but if I just kill them turn two, especially if I'm going before them in turn order, I can just win. And Armix wasn't giving me that outlet, where I can go so fast, I just get under these decks. And that, I felt, was something I was really missing and just really hurt my chances in some of the games that I lost, because I feel like I could have won them. It was always the classic, you know, story. It's like, oh, if I had one more turn, I could have won. And I know, like, that always sounds like 
like a, a, an excuse, but this time it was true in my opinion because I had to take a turn off to cast my Armix to turn on my coin the leak that enabled the Nas that I had in my hand and things like that. And if I couldn't do that, I could just drop the Nas. I think I win like at least two of the games that I lost because we, you know, people flipped their hands face up and saw no interaction among them. So it was an interesting thing. I think Armix has its place in certain metas. I just think right now things are so fast and I don't think the creature answers are good enough to where, um, they're having as much of an impact on win rates. Because I remember when I first started playing Armix, Malcolm was everywhere, Team of Pirates was everywhere. We also didn't have as much official, um, efficient removal. Like, for instance, we have Stern Scolding now. It's a good way to answer creatures. We have Odawara. Odawara, I think, is the big thing that kind of made Armix just, like, fall out of favor. Because not only is it good removal, it doesn't cast a spell, which is awesome. Um, so I just think all these factors have just made Armix really less desirable right now. And as much as I love the deck, I just, um, I do feel like um, if I wanted to play a Grixis Shell, I would definitely do Rock'sai or Anala at this point. Just have something that is faster, consistently asking the question, and can just threaten wins turn after turn after turn. And I think that's the route I'm probably going to go, is most likely Anala. Just try to revisit that deck. If uh, I try to tune it and I'm not happy with where it's at, or I feel like I, it's just not as good as Rock'sai, probably go to Rock'sai or just go back to TNK, because I also still really like TNK as a list as well. Yeah, that's something I, I want to touch on before we kind of talk a little bit further about like adjustments and all that kind of stuff. Is you mentioned like what kind of spawned wanting to talk about this specifically for this episode? I mean, obviously we we're going to talk about your tournament to some degree, but there was a big discrepancy between our opinions and our thoughts about where Armix Grom stood um, before the tournament and where things lie after the tournament. And one of your comments on Twitter was that Armix didn't feel relevant; like you just died a lot. And that is interesting to me to hear that it felt like you said that games were like over before Armix could be relevant and you only like even cast it twice. It's it's strange because that makes it sound like you're not really getting under anybody. Like the solution, if that's true, if it's true that your games are ending in one way or another, like whatever, the game's over before you can even cast your three mana Armix, which your deck was designed to do on turn one or two and have be relevant, of course. Um... The, the the solution isn't try to go faster because that's what decks are already doing. Like, decks are already doing the, like, really fast thing. And so where I'm going with this is, first of all, I, I have a question. And that is, mm -hmm. if you could run it all back, if you could just, you today, what you know now, you're going to play the exact same tournament again. Everybody's going to register the same thing, except you get to pick a different deck. What do you play? Inala. Easy. It's a deck I'm very comfortable on. I know the, the lines very well. And I feel like I would just be able to kill people before they got a chance to respond. And a, a, a big thing I want to point to here, too, is there's two Crick players in top 16. Crick is not a deck that I think is particularly good, but it's a deck that is able to threaten wins a lot, especially when people aren't mulling to early interaction. Like, it's a deck that can pretty consistently get there, I'd say, like, turn 2, turn 3-ish. Um, obviously, there's a lot of decks that could do that. But Crick was able to just kind of sit there and do these things because a lot of their decks involve like creature combos and things along those lines, and no one had answers for them. And I think Anala, I would just be able to be blazing fast, but also have blue to help defend my wins. That I think it, that would have been the deck that I take this weekend <clears throat> or okay. the previous weekend. That's interesting because what, based on just only feedback that you've given me and what I'm thinking about, like not even taking into account that Jorman won with TNK, but just based on what you said, it seems like me that 
the solution is actually to finally pick up Timnus. Like, finally, we have gone through enough rotations that everything we talked about over the course of discussing Timna Dilemma and what was going on with that and CDH finally developing into a real metagame where just jamming over and over again actually isn't the thing to do. You should show up with interaction. People are showing up with interaction. The you know, whatever, the prisoner's dilemma of everyone just trying to win as fast as they can and one blue player getting overwhelmed. Those are the days of the past. Like you said, everyone's showing up with like Tibbet and stuff where people just have a slew of silences and counter spells and all that kind of stuff. It seems like to me, the answer is to finally pick up your Timnas and it's time to start really showing why TNK has been the dominant force it's been for so long, even though it's been, it's been around, it's like Delver. It's been around for so long that people don't really talk about it to the same, like, whoa, this is messed up that they, they used to slash should be in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's not the shiny toy. It's like, oh, yeah. it's been a deck played for the past three years. Now everyone gets distracted because it's like Tibbet was newer and like other things Yeah, are Tibbet's new and sexy and here's this big monster that's really fun to just beat people up. It's very like satisfying for a Timmy game plan. But as far as like, conclusions to draw based on what you told me if i were to play that tournament only off of the information that you told me like not even taking into account where everything placed because i don't even know the full metagame distribution it sounds like it sounds like teen case the deck you're supposed to be playing right now because it sounds like if if the plan of just shift the blame into someone else is what we want to be doing tim is the best at that the the heavy density of interactions important you still have the ability to get under people even though that's not your primary game plan and just taking that Koval approach, I mean, it's been successful over the last few months. We see Jorman, you know, finally putting up some results with, with Blue Farm as well. We hadn't seen a lot of other players other than Koval really, really making deep runs with it, I think. I mean, here and there, but like not really. And to me, it, it just, it seems like this is the meta game for Timda decks. But you, I mean, your opinion, running it all back, you you want to just lean harder into the go faster, and that's that's interesting to me that your your uh, conclusion diverges so much from mine. Yeah, I I think TNK is just like something that people need to start going back to, just because people. One thing I think that Koval kind of falls into a trap of, for instance, the uh, in Surfside, which was a few week or two weeks ago, he went o four drop or o four one drop, like did not do well, scrubbed out. Uh, this weekend. He brought Tibbet, and same story. So I think while waiting for your moment is good, I don't think you could do it as aggressively as he has for his for previous events. I think it used to work really well, but now it's like you need the option of just going fast, which TNK definitely does. There are times where you're just able to go, and you just you keep hands that are a little bit more aggressive because it's still Grixis core. It's still able to Nas early. I think the reason why I would have taken a Nala is just, one, it's a deck that I am just more comfortable on. Like, the Spellseeker lines are... The, the baseline is what it is. Like, you know, anyone can look at a primer or, like, learn those basic steps. But seeing how it gets around Dranit, seeing how it can get around one piece of interaction or two pieces of interaction, just seeing how you can shortcut to the end where you're just looping the Shallow Grave Burn Offering and the Kill Spell, I think this... I would want to bring that to a tournament just because I feel like I understand it way better than other people. And I always... Like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, Brewer's Advantage, but also seeing how Crick did so well a deck that I don't think is particularly good just because these pilots knew the lines and were able to play them through, I think Anala would have shined for that same reason because it's something that I understand much better than other people. And it's something that is extremely fast. It's extremely resilient. You stop me one turn. It's I'm one reanimation spell from going again. And people don't see those lines. And 
I think it's just in a really good spot right now, especially because Anala, I feel like, is kind of under the radar. That's why I would have brought it. I think it's more of like a spike deck. But I do agree with your analysis that as a whole, we should be looking at the Timnacrom list as, like, to me, like, back as the Pinnacle, like the Najila list, because I think Najila can do a similar-ish thing. Like, they don't have the draw engines in the command zone, but just pressuring the board with Najila is pretty strong in itself, and you still have access to the white cards and everything else. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, I always like Najila. I don't know. I think it's still my call for the best deck in the format. It certainly was post-cookout. I'm beginning to get sold that, like, TNK might finally be the best deck in the format that everyone thought it was two years ago or whatever. And we're finally there, because there was no evidence of that before. But just based on what you're giving me in experiences and what I'm seeing in tournament results, it seems like, yeah, it seems like it's Tim's time to shine, and I think TNK might be the best deck in the format right now. I do think that your points around, like, Brewer's Advantage is good. Time is a great example of that. I think Time is basically just, like, a more or less strictly worse, like, Kinnon or Sisse, whichever one you choose to play. I think both of them kind of execute a portion of the creature, or, like, uh, activated ability matters, uh, combo-centric out of the command zone, like, thing. But, like, Time's just, like, a little bit more staxy and a lot harder to understand. And people, like, just get blown out because they don't realize they're supposed to kill a Wall of Roots or whatever. So... Mm -hmm. I think that Tyam is a good, like, case study on... Yeah, sometimes just, like, Brewer's Advantage works in CDH because there's already so much other stuff to keep track of that trying to figure out what your goofy line is or whatever can actually manifests into real percentage points uh, in, in pod. And I think that... So, so in all, it makes some sense there. Uh, I do want to break down a little bit your opinion of, like, the speed differential between Rogsai and Anala... Like, talk to me a little bit about, I think it's important when you're talking about similar decks. Now, not every deck that shares colors, this is people, a trap people fall in, in CDH all the time. They think that just because decks share colors, like, you need to suddenly start comparing them. Uh, yeah, that's just nonsense. Like, Affinity played blue and red cards in Modern. You're not going to compare it to Storm. <laughs> they have completely different yeah. strategies, you know? Uh, but in, in CDH, when you're talking about like a certain percentage of shared cards and game plans, you know, the Nazes, the Thoracles, all that kind of stuff. Although I don't even know if Anala plays a Thoracle. Um, they do. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes some sense, but like, I, yeah, I it's still, it's, it's still on breach combo. It's still on Oracle. And then it has the spell seeker as the, sure. Okay. So yeah, there's enough of like the plan for this deck is cast a bunch of spells and win with one of these like channels of, of things. Uh, is the spell seeker thing and any resiliency that provides you more advantageous than the like rog mana making turn on fierce swat thing yeah and that's uh that's the big question i get a lot and i think that well i need to play more games with anala in the current meta because i haven't picked up the deck in a while to yeah, give I a better answer but i do <laughs> i do feel that anala's resiliency and being able to just keep going is something that Rogsai is not as capable of doing. So, you know, we um Rogsai it makes a ton of mana, it has a bunch of high density it has a high density of payoffs, etc. But if you're able, you know, you put a bunch of mana into a Nas it gets countered or like you wheel and then you whiff. Um Rogsai has a harder time recovering from that because you don't have these card engines in the command zone compared to Anala where all I need to do is find the Spellseeker, and that just wins. If the Spellseeker is gone, all I need to hit is a reanimation effect. And it's kind of like the Team or Pirates thing, where, sure, the, the plan is extremely telegraphed. It's Glinthorn plus Malcolm equals win. But when you're in green, you have, like, ten ways of finding the Glinthorn. 
And that's kind of how I view the Anala line, where I just have so many ways of finding Spellseeker. If Spellseeker's in my graveyard, I only one reanimation spell just from winning again. So you just have this huge density of just payoffs where one tutor from almost any board state could just win the game. Because it's either Spellseeker is still in my deck and I can win with that, or Spellseeker's in my graveyard and then I can win by tutoring one of my many reanimation effects. And then on top of that, I still run Breach Combo, like Brain Freeze, LED, that kind of stuff, as well as uh, Oracle Consult. And I'm running a higher density of Wizard Tutors because I have like Step Through and Vidalcan Aether Mage to find my Spellseeker. They also can find my Oracle. And I think that gives you a lot of these pivots where you're able to just consistently try to put wins on the stack over and over again. Where Rogsai feels a little bit more, you put one win on the stack, you can have more backup for it because you have the Fierce Guardianships and Deflecting Swats. But when you go for it the second time, unless someone wheeled you or refilled you in some way, you're usually just drawing... Or like a couple turns. Like it's pretty rare for Rockside to just be like, here's a win. Oh, I got stopped uh, through my interaction. Uh, next turn, it's like, oh, I also had the breach the whole time. You know what I mean? Versus Anala, I feel like that happens all the time. Because it's like, here's the spell seeker. It's like, oh, I got force of Oh, no. And then it's like, draw for turn. Oh, demonic tutor. Demonic tutor, get an earth, unearth, win. And you just doesn't take as much setup as some of the other wins that come from like Rockside. So I do think that is valuable. I don't necessarily know if it's better or not, and I don't want to say it is better or not until I start actually playing games again and seeing. Well, how I'm just, it yeah, I'm just looking to see how different it is and what your assessment was based on you know like obviously you post like okay, Armix Krom isn't the blade. I'm going to Anala. Like, what interests you outside of just deck familiarity as far as unique space it occupies? Yeah. And I, I, I'm sympathetic to what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly, because I, as I said, I felt like the people who got punished a lot at Festival were the people who went for it first, and Ala doesn't care about going for it first, because we just have so many ways of just recovering or winning off of that, and I think that's where the value comes in, where I am fine turn two every game dropping the Spellseeker, fully knowing, like, even if I get Probe Stone, it's like, oh, they have the mental misstep, it's like, I'm just gonna drop the Spellseeker, I'll let them counter the Calling the Weaker or whatever, and then I'll just stop, and then it's like, next turn, it's like, oh, it's so easy for me to just try again, or it's like, I wheel, refill, hit the reanimation effect, or, you know, hit hit the Breach, and I can bring back my Spellseeker, and I think that ability just to keep doing it over and over and over again, it's something that it has an edge over Rock'sai with, even though Rock'sai might have a better overall card quality, and like, a little bit more interaction suite, since it does turn on Fierce and Swat, and Anala just can't even run those cards to begin with. Um, the other big thing, too, is that it gets around Dranith, because Dranith doesn't hurt me, like, at all. It's like, instead of the combo costing 4 mana, it costs 6. And I like that I don't have to even cast my commander to win, because Rock'sai can get blown out if someone before you casts a Dranith, and now you're like, oh. Yikes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, it, some percentage it, of your wins just, like, don't work with a Dranith in play. Exactly. So I like that it has a little bit more flexibility in that regard where I don't, it doesn't matter because Anala just existing is my win con. Like, it just needs to be there. And then the ability to just keep go doing wins over and over again. So I'll get back to you in a week or two to see if being able to have the Anala win lines is better than Zane with his Rogsai and all the interaction and stuff that it enables. But we'll find out. Uh, I'm just really invested in Commander again for the first time in a while. We're like, I really want to play, I really want to brew, there's some decks I want to try out, and I just want to go back to Anala since it was like my like my main deck for a really long time, so it's like, let's see how it does in the current meta. Armix Krom's not doing as well as I thought it would, and I want to go back to something else I'm comfortable with, see how it goes, and then worst case scenario, I go back to Tim Necrom, because I also have been playing, a t I also have played a ton of Tim Necrom in my day. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 worst case, worst case, you should play one of the best decks in the format, real tough spot to be. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> oh, I, you know, it's exciting to see. I'm excited to see you with so much uh, fire. I've never, you know, I haven't seen you have this much fire for just jamming games in some time. It's uh, it's nice to see you. Old, old Mikey's back. Exactly. So, uh, you know, Zane's been getting too much of the spotlight, and uh, he's it's getting to his head. So yeah, you got to fix that. Uh, so, that can't happen. Yeah, someone's got to. <laughs> yeah, Shawnee tries to, but it it doesn't work because he's just too aggressive. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna start cooking, and then. I'll start. Uh, I'll come up with something. Armix Crumb destroyed Zane when he was on Team of Pirates and turned him into a Mardu Summer Boy and now a Grixis Boy. So we'll see what comes. What's, what's up with Ashani, man? He just like wins a wins a tournament with Tivit and then just like is playing other stuff and you know not just being like, yeah, I just own with blue cards in my hand. I'm just gonna continue to own. He's like on this crusade to like make Rogs whatever. Either way, <laughs> he's just like make yeah. Rogs look foolish. And I don't really. I mean, whatever. He beats enough people and he doesn't need any help from me but his trash talk game could, could use a small upgrade you're gonna have to get get in the get in the lab start doing some coaching exactly so we'll, we'll see what happens but yeah definitely excited to explore more into the format there's a few decks i want to look into and is definitely going to be the first one but um yeah i got some other things i want to look into more especially after seeing recent tournaments especially sisse i mm-hmm. while i we we see the deck doing well, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about before, where it's like these activated abilities are just bonkers. Uh, that new, I forgot the name of it. It's like a, it's a card coming out of Wilds of Eldraine. It's like Cauldron something, where you can use mana of any color to activate creatures' abilities. The four mana artist. Yeah, I have not read that card. I like saw the amount of words in that card. It, this is actually a small bit aside, and it's about to punish me here because I did not know we were going to talk about this card. Uh, it was sent in one of my group chats. I like looked at it and I just immediately was exhausted, which is how I know I'm just burnt out of magic so bad right now. As I just like looked at it and I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm I'm not reading this. And I like I said that in the chat. I'm like, I am going to see because they were like freaking out. Like, is this good? How good is this? Blah blah blah. It just has this wall of text, and I'm like, I, yeah, yeah, there it is. Thank you for saying it. I'm not reading it. <laughs> and and it was like, I was like, I'm gonna see how long I can go. As a EDH content creator and whatever, all these things without reading this card, I'm, I'm going to oh. see how long I can go without reading this thing. Which basically means I'm going to continue to not read it until I'm losing to it, and that has not happened yet because the card is not out yet. Oh well, I think this card is sick because it allows oh, you to Jesus. it allows it allows you to activate Sissy's ability with any mana, so you don't have to okay. use Urborg anymore. You can just use Colorless mana to activate it, and also creatures with a plus one plus one counter. Uh, they have the activated abilities of all creatures in your graveyard, which also it's kind of cool with Sisse. So I think this card's going to be pretty bonkers. You don't put the creatures in the graveyard, right? I guess Ranger Captain is like a card that hits. It's the more just if some if they kill one of your creatures, now you still get access to it. Okay. But what I'm more concerned with is the first bit, where you no longer yeah, need the the basically you don't yeah, need Dockside you... specifically. Exactly. If you just have this out and you have mana. Be able to do stuff, so that's that's got me started to get more interested in Sisse. See if there's some stuff to do there. And Sam Black has also intrigued me on Rog Thras again. Yeah, I saw I saw Sam posting about that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know which way to go about it. I know Sam right now he's been uh, or they've been doing more of the um, just like teamer value um, versus like the polymorph strategies that we've seen before. But I don't know. Call me a fanboy, but if Sam Black is looking into something. I, I tend to believe there might be something there. So it, it's intrigued me enough to start to revisit the deck a little bit and see what's going on. It's definitely lower on my list, but it is something where I'm like, huh, Rog is really good in these Grixis shells. What can it do in Teamer? I don't know. Like, it, You obviously don't have the black effects that are as good with like sacking your creatures for value, but 
still having a fearsome SWAT on all the time and then maybe trying to do some quick creature-based combos in Teamer could be a thing. I don't know. Uh, like I said, that was interesting in that one, but Sisse, like, I'm actually, like, interested in. And I think that there's something very real there. People just need to... It's kind of like what we did with Najila, where it's like, let's see what people are doing. Let's try to trim some of the fat and let's see if we can make this a little bit more streamlined. But we'll see. Yeah, a, a quick point there with, uh, you know, fan, I'm never going to accuse you of fanboying. Uh, this is this is actually, a, uh, like, maybe not, not known enough secret, but, like, a big part of being good at magic and, like, actually manifesting that into tournament results is knowing who to listen to and who's full of it. And this, this manifests all the time. Like, I, I talk about this with my coaching clients constantly, where it's, like, a big part of of like just being good and keeping up with like magic is knowing the relevant magic, the gathering online names to look for. Like when you're looking at deck lists and you're looking at uh, just MTGO deck dumps and stuff, find the people that are really good at magic. What are they working on? Why are they working on those things? Just looking at their lists, asking yourself questions as to why they're looking into that more will reveal so much more to you about where the meta is and where it's going than anything you're going to figure out on your own. And so, yeah, with like Matt Sperling, Sam Black, players that are just miles better than me at Magic, entering the format, yeah, now I get to see, okay, whatever they're looking at, whatever they're paying attention to, there's a reason for it. There is something there that is, obviously I've missed, because I it's not like I'm reaching to put Thrass Frog together, like what, okay, I guess. But like, I, I was doing that with the Polymorph thing, I think, yeah, whatever. And... Yeah, and, and Sam's points, the, the the ones that I really, like, hooked into for me is like, okay, well, black seems worse than green. I think that's a hard thing to dispute as far as color distribution. So if you're building a ROG deck, how did we end up in green instead of black and we're not a polymorph deck? And what Sam was touching on was that Thrasios allows you to take the grind angle, ROG still makes all the mana, and you basically, out of the command zone, get the pivot that you were looking for in, like, your Armix Chrom style setups, where you have mana, go fast, and grind option if that's what the game's about. And that, to me, I think is emblematic of, not just, like, it's Timnus time to shine too, like, even if, like, this Thras ROG deck's really, really good, which is almost certainly the case if Sam Black's working on it and is winning, I mean, he won some kind of event with it or whatever, but also, like, you know, there there's a reason that we're reaching for having the option to win very quickly or do a grind plan because the grind plan matters now. It's not just all about this pod racing stuff that people accuse CDH of being about. It's never been about, and it's probably less about now than ever before. If Tiffit's a card that we're putting on the stack in any any amount yeah. of pods, this is not just like a turn two format. Tiffit is a six mana card here, people. So it is, even in CDH, which is something that we don't have Magic Online names to like memorize, which I think is a good thing, I guess. And to the extent that not having CDH leagues on Magic Online is a good thing, not having, knowing people's Magic Online names be a relevant thing, I think matters. Like, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a positive for the format. But it is still important to know what to pay attention to. And like I said, these players that are just, you know, whatever, Hall of Fame careers, Pro Tour top eights, wins, I, whatever, I don't care. They're way better than me. And they're looking at something that I'm not looking at for reasons that I actually might have come to, might not have come to. That matters. And looking at those decks, I mean, people are all looking at TNK. People are all looking at you know, whatever, even Rogside. This Rixus, point. There's so many yeah. people working on. They're it. looking at. How many Rixus people are working on been, it? Yeah. Rog. 
Where can you spend your time and have it be productive? And that's another, that's another component. There's so many components of being good at magic, letting other people do work for you and spending your time where there needs to be more bodies looking at something is how you actually figure the format out faster instead of just retracing other people's steps for the most part. There's a time and place for retracing other people's steps and CDH ain't it for the moment. It's a... Funny you say that for two reasons. One, um, the Armist Cromless that I brought to Festival, it was actually one that our friend Connor was playing. Because he started playing Armist Crom, and he's like, oh, can I see your list? I was like, here you go. I, I was like, I haven't updated it with the past couple sets. He updated it for me. Granted, it was only like four cards. It was like Mount Doom, Born Upon the Wind, Oakish Master, and I think like one other. But I just thought that was funny. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, you've been actually playing it recently. Let me know. And then I just used his list, and it felt yeah, great. No um, shame. <laughs> be- better, better than ever. And, you know, well, part of that was just having the Lord of the Rings cards, because Born Upon the Wind is insane. Um, Powerful card. The other, the other point, too, is... Um, as you were mentioning, like, Sam Black, he's been focusing on green and the Rog Thrast deck. It's kind of what I was talking about with Anala, because the article that he wrote for Eminence, where he talked about green being underrated, it was all about the resiliency that green gives you. You are able to use resources, and then you get them back, because there's regrowth, there's Noxious Revival, there's Eternal Witness, there's Finale of Devastation that gets from the bin, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that is something that people really aren't valuing right now, because they just are like, oh, if it's in the graveyard, I have Breach, I can just get it back. But when it's something like Force of Will, it's a little bit different, especially when you're able to have a Thrasios, Noxious Survival, put it on top, and activate Thrasios and bring it back. That used to be a very, very common play pattern a few years ago. And now everyone's kind of been like, oh, that's too slow, Noxious Survival sucks. So I did think it was very interesting that all the points that Sam Black made about green and reasons why he likes Rock Thrass are reasons why I like Anala. Obviously, the playstyles are extremely different, but it's about the resiliency. It's like, oh, I got stopped, or my hand only had a Spellseeker, um, and that's it. And then the Spellseeker combo got stopped. It's like, what do now? And a lot of Rixus decks, including like Armix Krom, it's like, I kind of look at my hand, and I'm just like, I hope someone wheels. I hope to God there's a wheel that gets put on the <laughs> stack, otherwise I am blind top decking. But when you're in, in green... You're able to just kind of make those moments yourself. You're able to just be like, oh, this finale got countered earlier. I'm going to regrowth it and then recast it, get my dockside, and then do something. Or, you know, whatever it might be. There's there's so many good creatures in Teamer. So I just thought it was interesting that those are the points that he brought up why he thinks green is good right now. And it's just something I really resonate with because it is why I've been kind of fighting the good fight with Anala where I'm just like, the start, this deck still kind of competes. No one wants to play it other than, like, my friend Justin. And, like, that's about it. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting point. So that's something that I've never heard anyone bring up with the green discussion is about the resiliency of green. And it wasn't until the Sam Black Arc where I even started thinking about that. So it's like, that's why my wheels are starting to turn too for that deck. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, kind of maybe spoiled a little bit of it, but a big part of the conclusion here, because, of, 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 you know, even though we're doing a podcast, we're creating content, a big part of what we're doing here is just kind of recording us interacting and I was very interested in hearing your thoughts because they diverge so far. They seem to disagree with what I concluded from the cookout. Like, it seems like everything you've talked about for the most part does some amount of disagreeing with what I concluded from cookout. And so it's like, okay, how do I reconcile where I think the format is uh, with, you know, where you think the format is and get the nuggets of truth extracted? Especially because I just wrote a whole article. Here's a little shameless plug before I dive into this too much. I just wrote a whole article about the state of the metagame in CDH. And a lot of it's mostly just a CDH tier list that's updated from my one I wrote in March. And I do talk about a lot of the points we're talking about at a surface level. But for the most part, it's just kind of talking about the decks that and where I think they stand. Um, that, that'll be coming out today or tomorrow. But 
Um, I actually still think all that holds that I talked about. But I couldn't really figure out where the metagame is going and where to spend time. Like, I was very lost, and I have not been spending a lot of time doing anything in CDH because I've just... I have been very confused. And now, I think I have some clarity as to what's going on. And part... And I also have some clarity as to where I have fallen short in my ability uh, to kind of process what's happening. So, first off, I think... There is an important distinction that if we're going to talk about the current CDH metagame, we need to do a better job of that this conversation has revealed. And that is that not all wins are created equal. A lot of people talk about how quickly you can present a win. And oftentimes, a win is synonymous with a lot of things. From Thoracle Consult, to Breach with a Gamble or whatever, to just putting Ad Nauseam on the stack. And when we talk about decks like Rogsai, an important point you brought up about Anala versus Rogsai is that Anala very much has a clear path to victory every time it's putting a win on the stack. It's like, I'm going to do this, then this, then this, then this, and this is deterministic. When you talk about decks like Rogsai, a lot of their wins that we're talking about are something to the order of a lot of mana plus a wheel, or just having the card Memnonic Betrayal after you've tried a win. And these cards while they often can represent wins, are not 100% checkmarks. And when you start talking about the semantics of it, it's nonsense because who knows how often it misses. I don't know. I don't know how often it misses. But I'm here to tell you, Adriana shuts down Mnemonic Betrayal, whereas it doesn't shut down Arigo on Anala. And so no matter what, no matter how you slice it, no matter what the percentage of times that Mnemonic Betrayal doesn't represent a win or that a bunch of mana plus wheel doesn't represent a win or even just a bunch of mana plus the backside of whatever... All of these things that are in and of themselves non-deterministic wins that get there often enough to be part of the conversation of presenting a win, I think the fail rate on those things and what they represent for your opponents as well, especially with things like wheels, this came up for me at Cookout where I would wheel multiple times as my follow-up and drew them into more interaction because these decks are so chock full of interaction that even though they just stopped me, it's not like those are the only pieces of interaction. They drew more. And I lost as a result of that directly. Like that experience speaks to the fail rate and speaks to not all wins being created equal. And so we're talking about, okay, maybe Rog can put a win on the stack a little bit faster than Anala. The fail rate on those wins may very well, I don't know for sure, but may very well be a large enough percent that the guarantee of Anala is a worth a little bit of slower pace a little bit of slower presenting, whatever that actually is. These are It's all nonsense to talk about. Like, if we talk about Rogsai as a turn two deck, we talk about it all as a two, two and a half deck, maybe that's close to the truth, but by and large, it's all nonsense. But mm -hmm. the concepts, the theory of there is a fail rate, I know it exists for the wheel wins, the Mnemonic Betrayal composition wins, like all that stuff, versus even some of the Nas wins. I mean, I've seen Nas's brick and die. Versus... Anala, which has a very clear plan every time it's attempting its Spellseeker wins, that may very well matter enough to be worth being a little bit slower. And I think that speaks to some of what's going on with Green, too, where it's like, these are even more resilient than something like Spellseeker because, you know, now I don't care about the graveyard and all these other kind of stuff, versus, like, what? how much resiliency is sacrificing speed worth? It varies by pod, but based on metagame composition, there is a overall generic answer to that question that needs to be figured out i don't know the answer yet 
And it sounds like that's kind of the direction that you're headed. But as far as reconciling, to, to, to kind of close this train of thought, reconciling the idea and the experiences I had at Cookout where I played a lot of the same decks you did. No Tibbet, but like a lot of the Kinnons, the Sisses, these are the kinds of relevant players and pods I was playing. Even a Kirk. I played Kirk in one of the pods. And it mattered. Like they did actually do something that mattered in that game. They weren't just an NPC and needed to be interacted with. Um... So the, the, we're really seeing a metagame develop. We are seeing a metagame that can be targeted, finally, after years of doing this kind of stuff. We're really seeing some convergence onto specific decks and archetypes. And I still think, despite what everybody says, despite what you know Zane's record has shown and all that kind of stuff, I still think, as of this podcast, that Rogsai is less well positioned in this format than other top tier decks it's still a top tier deck you're still gonna win a lot of pods being fast is still powerful it is still a powerful deck i do not think it is the best deck in the format for a given tournament this weekend i don't know if it's tnk that's my current guess based on what you just told me but it seems like next next week's deck may very well be something different it may be anala it may still be tnk because tnk is still dominating with timna and cdh moves slow i don't know but my my heuristics, my process, all of the things that I have honed in order to prepare myself for tournaments week in and week out, especially with a developing and under pressure metagame that we're seeing with CDH finally, um, kind of speaks to my experiences from Cookout aren't nonsense. I don't think that your conclusions with Armix Krom mean that Rogsai is the correct choice, despite how I felt about its position post Cookout. I think that where we're at and where we're going. It is important to not talk about how quickly a deck can attempt a win because not all win attempts are created equal. I think if we're going to be able to move things in a progressive direction with the metagame and how things, you know, how decks interact with each other, it's important to start to break apart what the actual win that you're presenting looks like and loses to. It's not enough to just be like, well, my deck can win turn two. Or whatever, or my deck wins turn two a whole bunch of the time. Like you can't, you can't do that shortcut anymore because the interact. There's enough interaction abound. There's enough different types of interaction. Like counter spells are a lot more prevalent than removal spells, as we know. It is important to talk about what your wins that you're presenting as quickly as you are lose to, because there's a lot of interaction around now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's part of the reason why I'm interested in Sisse because. It doesn't lose too much interaction because once it gets going, you're it just putting like anything. Things... Yeah, it you're just putting all stuff into play. Mystics, it's insane. I, I yeah, especially yeah. when you can use if you make like a dock side that counts high enough. It's like first sissy activation. Here's a three fairy. Yeah, like this yeah, happened I mean... in the finals where he, uh, Malcolm had a three fairy out and was like, "All right, if no one has Ottawara, I win here." Right? Zane had the Ottawara there, but still, like. I mean, that yeah, works. you had to have Odawara specifically. Yeah, that's what I mean. The fact that it's literally one single card, like, that's literally it that answers it. Like, that's just wild. And it's something that's I'm very interested about just because Sissé skirts around all the interaction that you're talking about. And it, it's just, it's frustrating to play against. Like, honestly, like, you see it. You see what's happening. It's like, oh, there's a dock side. He's going to activate Sissé. Looks at hand. I don't have Oppo. In fact, he just killed. The, the, the oppo that was on board <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's like what do um but yeah no it's definitely interesting um i'm really hoping speed isn't the only thing that people talk about because it's just like every deck can win fast as you mentioned too like pretty much like if you're playing cedh and your deck can't 
like even theoretically win turn two, turn three, it's like, okay, you probably shouldn't be playing that deck like at all. Like sure. you should have some way to just oops I did it. Um but yeah, I think just like finding ways to either skirt around interaction or to where it's like, okay, everyone's playing counter spells. Um, I, I, I fold to the, uh, instead of folding to a counter spell, it's like next turn I can try again, or it's like I can try multiple win attempts in a turn. I think that's kind of where we need to go. And that's something that like the Sissy deck especially really excels at. And also like Najila, Tim Necrom, they're also decks that are just really good at that. Cause it's like Najila, you drop the breach on the stack, it gets countered, you're like, here's the Derevi. And then Timna Krom, you just have so much filtering because you're drawing so many cards off the Timna, off the Krom effect, that you're able to just set up those t wins where it's like, okay, here's Oracle Consult. Oh, it got countered. Here's the Yogwill. Bring back this. Do the, you know. And just like, you're able to sculpt down to where you're able to just do it multiple times in a turn. I think that's where more the format is really going. It's not who can win turn two, it's who can try twice by turn three. Right. And yeah, no, that's I a think great that. Yeah, I think that's really where we're headed now. Because every deck can do try to do a turn two, turn three. But if I get stopped turn two, what are the decks that are able to recover fast enough that by turn three, they're dropping another win on the stack? And I think that's the key. And that's what I really felt behind with that festival and why I'm so interested in Anala again. Because I felt if I went early, I just get stopped. I need to wait. Someone else gets stopped and I drop my win on the stack. But with Anala, it's like when I used to play that deck a lot, I would just let my first win attempt get countered even if I had protection. It's just like, okay, I'll play this game. You have the mental misstep, that's fine. I could have countered the mental misstep and try to win, but I'm just going to let someone else now take their turn, and I'll stop them, or like collectively we'll stop them, and then I just get to go again because I have the unearth in hand, or whatever it might be. And I think that's where the real power index is going to lie, and Rockside does this a bit just because it makes so much mana. But as I mentioned before, Rockside does suffer where if the Adnos gets countered, the Breach gets countered, you're kind of top-decking, or it relies a lot on, like, here's a bunch of mana, here's a wheel, but, you know, not all wheels are the same. There's plenty of times where I've whiffed off a wheel, or it's like, I look at my hands, like, I drew six lands and a, like, mana rock, like, neat. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the way that we're going to really start to go, and I think, like, Sisse, Tim Necrom, and Ajila are the decks that really excel at just, like, dropping multiple wins at the same time, and that's why I want to go back to Anala and see, like, okay, can this keep up with what I think of currently as the best decks, and I won't know until I start playing it because not many people are playing Anala at the moment. So yeah, that, yeah. That, that's something I'm very curious. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what happens for my findings because it might just be like, oh, Tim Necron's better. But I do think there's a chance that Anala being able to just const constantly ask the question turn after turn after turn is valuable. And we'll find out. And I think that is how people need to start viewing their decks much more. Because if you're just waiting for that perfect turn to go off, you're either too slow or you know everyone else is waiting too. And they're ready to answer you. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing that people aren't realizing. And I think that's something that Cobalt's starting to realize now, too, with their past two tournaments is ending in scrub outs. Because they try to be a little bit too patient to the point where people have the three pieces of interaction to stop them, or they just die because someone else went first and there wasn't as much interaction at the table as people thought. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more. Well, for me, I, there has been so much more interaction at the recent tables than even before. And, I mean, calling upon, this is probably the last piece i'll do on the rog Sayanala comparison stuff but i remember when we were testing for the very first punt city and i had kind of landed on najila because i thought the white cards were bananas and uh you at one point were testing anala because that was something you had a lot of experience with and like whatever the bryant and the crew was like yeah no rog size bananas it's like probably the fastest most turbo grixis deck out there presenting wins and all that stuff and you tested anala and you basically kind of found that to be true like as far as like who could win the fastest it was rogsai more often than it was anala 
But that was for a metagame texture that included a lot more decks that did not interact on the stack and did not interact very well than we're seeing today, where the decks that are continuing to show up, continue to succeed, are the decks that do interact well, have a lot of interaction, not just like the obvious includes, but like whatever, like a ton of one mana stuff on top of it. And now it might be the time finally where the conversation isn't, you know, necessarily about does Anala win faster than Rogside? Because the answer to that's probably still no. But the answer to does can Anala present deterministic wins more turns in a row than Rogside can consistently? I think the answer is definitely yes. Is Anala more resilient more often than Rogside? I would guess the answer is also yes. But there's some there's some muddiness to that. You know, mm-hmm. the interaction that we talked about Rog having access to early with like Fierce and Swat and all that stuff does play versus inherent resiliency of your combo win attempt. That one's a little bit more muddy. But as far as what you spoke to about being able to present deterministic wins turn after turn, I, I think that is the important thing to focus on when you're testing these this stuff. And it sounds like you've kind of already reached that conclusion. And, you know, that's a valuable nugget to me because now it does a lot to reconcile my, okay, I don't think Rogside was that well positioned, but I can't figure out why. And the answer why is because of these exact effects that we just talked about at length. And now it's like, okay, I don't know where that's going to go. I need to spend more time thinking about it rather than just being on the spot here. The answer for me might just be revisit Najila as far as like what I want to do tournament wise. Um, I, I know Memo and crew have been kind of just crushing over and over again, more or less kind of silently. Not a lot of people are really talking about it. Memo just like shows up and crushes and he's not playing something as spicy as like Niv-Mizzet. So it just doesn't get talked about the same way that Shauna and her insane run with Niv-Mizzet gets talked about. But I mean, I, he's been just kind of silently crushing with Najila over and over again, very much kind of took the mantle there and trying all the new cards and stuff. And I, I think it might be time as far as like what I would play in a tournament to just like put my money where my mouth is again and just be like, yeah, I think Najila is just the best deck. That's where I want to be. It does that presenting wins turn after turn that we just talked about. And it does the like, yeah, my creature, my commander is a creature that does a bunch of stuff on its own. You can combo with it. You cannot. You can win around certain things like Dranth and stuff. It's, I think that is the direction that I would go if I was preparing for a tournament once again. Shocker, Drake thinks Najila is good. I know, but um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, it gives me a much better insight without playing any tournaments. Take notes of those people at home that don't play tournaments. If you want to keep up with tournaments, this is the kind of stuff you need to do. Listen to these kinds of experiences from players that do play tournaments, where their thoughts are on where the metagame is going. Specifically, don't listen to <laughs> opinions of people that are drawing conclusions from just results and data from the tournament and not the actual experiences. Because as we just talked about, if you want to look at the data of the tournament, it may speak to something a little bit different. I'm not sure. I don't really care. What I care about is the experiences that you had playing in the event yourself and what that says about the correct deck to play that weekend. Like, what was the correct deck to play? It's not always the deck that won the tournament. The deck to play is not always the deck that wins the tournament, even though it won. Sometimes the best deck for the event is something different. And like you just said, you would have played Inala despite Team K winning. And I, I think that's, you know, Adderall. I'm convinced that that is true now and where I was not when you initially said it. And now if going forward this has an impact on you know even like mox masters it's in two weeks or whatever like there mm-hmm. is going to be people like wh- there's enough people playing events week in and week out they're going to come to the same conclusions too so knowing what we know and knowing that they have also reached similar conclusions how can you prepare for your next event you know it is something that matters and it sounds like you know revisiting maybe some slower but more resilient combos is is the way to go 
Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with all of that. And this is something that you mentioned in a previous episode. It's like a format under pressure develops so quickly. At CDH, every week, literally every week at this point, it is coming under more pressure. Like, for instance, you asked Zane two weeks ago, what do you think, what, what deck you bring in your tournament? They say Dahada. They recently changed to Rogsai, and then they won one tournament top four the other. It's not necessarily that Rogsai is the best deck. It's just Zane's like, oh, this is what's working now. And I think Zane might be at the point where he's like, Rogsai is just like the best deck at this point in, in their opinion. And I do like think a lot of that's valid. The thing is, like like I said, literally two weeks ago, he would have been like, you're crazy, play Dahada. It's better than Rogsai. And one of the things that changed that was Born Upon the Wing coming out. But regardless, it's just every week we're going to be seeing new findings. Every week there might be a different deck that's good for a tournament. Because right now, where CDH is, while we do have an idea of what, say, like the five best decks are in a vacuum, they're not the best at everything, and they're not the best against everything. Mm -hmm. So while, yes, TNK is obviously good, at the same time, if TNK is in a pod with three Rogsai, Rogsai is going to win, but vice versa, if there's three TNK in the pod, Rogsai loses. So it's just, you need to realize that each tournament is different. You need to see like what part of the meta is, and also you just need to see the different changes and different things that are people catching on to. Like, I could be wrong in this assessment, but I think at this point with Tyam doing very well online, Sissi consistently doing well in person, Hidden doing really well in person, I think people are going to start going back to these slower creature-based strategies that don't use the stack. And they're really hard to interact with. And I think yep. that's going to be make a big comeback. And guess what? Rockside kind of struggles against those. Like, yeah, you always could just kill them before they get set you up. Try. You can that's try. Not always... The rest of the exactly. table has interaction. I'm learning this. <laughs> exactly. And that's just not always going to work, especially because Kinnon has blue. Tyam, the most, like, color-restricted of the one, or not necessarily most color-restricted, but, like, they have white. They have the silence effects. They have a bunch of removal in black. Like, the amount of times this past weekend I saw people, like, snuffing out or, like, um, swordsing like a rock rack before they got to untap. Like some people be like, oh, that's throwing blah blah blah. I don't know. Like you're playing this commander for a reason, so that you play it turn one and then turn two you blow up. I don't know. Like I, some of if those your source of flashers could counter a dark ritual, would you? Some of the time. I don't know exactly. Depends and I think. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where the meta might be headed right now, I and mean, we might be going back to like slower creature based things and things like sans black might make a comeback but it's hard to say right now I, I don't know it's only like cookout experience to my experience at festival were pretty different and i'm sure that the next tournament that happens whenever like that might be is also going to be very different yeah weird things are going to change again really strange. yeah and it's this <laughs> cdh is in a very much like wide open spot no one truly knows what the best deck is we have an idea i think we're pretty i think we can confidently say of like the five best decks one of them might be the best deck but who knows like, Rock Thrass, as we mentioned, like, Sam Black is working on that. That was never even on the radar of, like, if you asked me top 10, I wouldn't have put Rock Thrass in top 10. Same and now same. it's, like, to the, the point where... I'm... Same deal. Yeah, I yeah exactly. Now it's top 5 for sure. Deck's nuts. <laughs> nuts. Exactly. I played against it so... in Punt City 2 and just got clapped by it. And was like, what the heck? I thought this deck was a meme. Yeah, no. <laughs> Great. Broken. It's broken. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just excited to see as things keep developing... Um, we keep seeing, like, and the fact that there's more of, like, a grinder scene now for Khmer, like, Malcolm and Jorman, they go to everything they can. They yeah. don't go to the West Coast stuff, but guess what? They drove to Cookout from New York to Atlanta. They were there. Cool. They went to Festival. They go to all their locals that are, like, 60-person tournaments. They go to everything that they can. And I think it's just cool. We're seeing recurring faces. We're seeing these people that are just putting these decks on the map. Because without Malcolm, I wouldn't be paying attention to Sissy, like, straight up. 
Uh, he is doing consistently well at tournaments. In friendly games, I'm playing with him. I'm just like, why do I keep dying? Like, I'm so confused. Yep. <laughs> and it, it's just really cool to see. And it's making us, like, actually rethink a lot of our preconceived notions of the format. We're seeing new faces pop up. And we're seeing new decks. And I think it will be really cool to see. Like, we've things have changed so much just this year. And we have a few really big tournaments coming up. With Mox Masters Invitational, the Lo- uh, Lotus Con event, Eminence's event in Atlanta. And... Who knows? All three of those might have a completely different metagame and completely different decks that win. So I'm just excited to be along for this ride, and it's really cool to be able to talk about it and see all these changes in real time as we're learning more. People try to attack things in a different manner, and it's just really been it's really been fun. It's like I really feel like my spark for CDH has completely been reignited, and playing in this tournament just has like a bunch of ideas sitting in my head, and I'm very excited to really like start to lab it out and start to work with people on it. There is few things in my experience that are as mentally stimulating as trying to keep up and importantly actually keeping up and staying ahead of the curve with a developing format as part of what makes the grind and everything that comes with it so rewarding is you do get paid off for solving these problems drawing the correct conclusions i mean in many ways you're just kind of following a scientific process and you know forming hypotheses coming to conclusions doing you know your tournaments are your experiments and it it is it is a unique science and it is something that has been kind of the subject of my fascination and continued fascination with magic over the 20 plus years i've been playing at this point and yeah it's really cool to see cdh finally catch a groove with that uh yeah, yeah i don't know you remember when people were uh were telling me cdh is solved don't no point talking about five cards between lists cdh is solved that's uh, it pack it in <laughs> yeah everything's solved it's in the chrome best deck we're already deck, in 20 exact blah 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 yeah yeah, yeah. okay we're that, all done. that was the narrative for a bit and i'm glad that to see that's getting proven wrong time and time again <laughs> insanity people have yeah, no, no especially salt even looks like <laughs> yeah especially because it's like when we when people were telling us the format was solved there was like two tournaments a year if that <laughs> like i was like what are we wildly different decks that weren't yeah, tnk like, and they're like yeah tnk is obviously the best deck what <laughs> yeah it, it's all insanity especially coming from other games because it's like oh. Yu when a deck is solved it's like okay here's the list you do not deviate from this list. Like, this is perfect. You don't change anything. The sideboard is where you change stuff. And <laughs> yeah. we have never been even remotely close to that in Commander. And I don't think we ever will with the nature of it being Hunter Card Singleton. And it's a, I, anytime someone's like, the format solved or Blink is the best deck, I'm like, y'all are hilarious. Like, I, I know I can fall into this because I'll say, like, something's the best. But I've been trying to be much more cognizant. Like, I think this is the best at the moment and things like that. Because, like... You know, each set gives us new cards. Each set, um, e- like, there's so much things that are just unexplored. Like, where where are the people? Like you said, like where are the people labbing Teamer? I don't think anything has happened with Teamer other than uh, the like the Malcolm uh, Malcolm Tana deck that was popular a while ago. Now that's kind of fallen off. As soon as yeah, like, as soon as that died, people are like, okay, Teamer must suck. And it's just like, yeah, it's like Teamer sucks. Go to Grixis. Go to this. Go to five color. Whatever. Yeah, green's Green's bad. Everybody hates Green, and that's I mean that's where Sam got. Their opinions that everyone thought green is bad. It's not like it came out of nowhere. They wrote a whole article about why do people think green's bad. It's great. And it's like, yeah, people do think green is bad. And even me, to some extent, I'm like, I mean, I do. I'll defend Elvish Spirit Guide to the day I die. That card is broken. People are just like, oh, green sucks. The best card is Calling Ritual. It's like, okay, Calling Ritual is good. But let me introduce you to my friend, Elvish Spirit Guide. The card is busted. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, I think, I truly believe now, finally, uh, maybe it's been true for the last two to three weeks, but finally, we are looking at kind of an upheaval from everything that we talked about the Timna Dilemma, which I do think was true for a long time. But even looking just just through what we talked about now when the conversation is about speed of wins why would anybody ever register delver when you can play charbelcher it's not all about the speed of wins that's not the only mm-hmm. piece of the equation now and especially true today where there's so much more interaction being a charbelcher even a charbelcher with a force of will with it it's it's not it's not good nobody plays nobody plays blue black granite well it's it's good sometimes and it's going to win sometimes but when we're talking about the best deck for a weekend and we're talking about the best decks in the format, it's no longer just who can win the fastest, who can present a protected win in some kind of way the fastest. The details matter. And now we're seeing, really, like I said, Timna's era to shine. And if you know, Timna's obviously the delver in this situation, and I, I think that there's a lot of parallels to be drawn. And Delver isn't always the best deck in Legacy, but it's usually a great choice despite Belcher always being a deck that you are allowed to play in Legacy. Some people play it. it overall, it doesn't get played a lot. So a lot of the monocolored stuff that wins quick, mostly gone. Even Carrick, people play it a lot, mostly gone, doesn't win a lot. The decks that are winning are very colorful, are very resilient, and, you know, win in powerful, sometimes frustrating ways. And, like, frustratingly resilient ways. I think Sese is a great example of that. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's really warms my heart. It warms my heart to have been here from point A to point B, watching the development of CDH over the last year to two years, because it has been dramatic. Nothing like we've seen in CDH ever before. A true renaissance of deck tuning. Uh, A lot of brewers, you know, maybe can get frustrated because they're probably, you know, you can't just slap the best CDH staples into a new commander and be like, look, new CDH deck, get it on the database and get all your fame. You, You know, that may be a point of frustration for people that are into... Uh, deck brewing but as far as competitive edh in the sense that competitive is representative of people playing for stakes and bringing the decks they think are the best and that gives them the best chance to win i think we are really seeing a a just unprecedented development and uh, acceleration of progress for this format than than i've ever been witness to yeah, for sure. And I think something that's kind of telling about this is like two, three years ago, a lot of the discourse for CDH and like brewing, it all happened on Twitter. These days, where it's all happening are all the private discords that exist now. And it's awesome. Like, I know so many different groups where it's all these little pockets. You know, it's like I have a bunch of friends in them, but they're like, oh, but like we're trying to focus in on like this part of the game. You like to focus in on this. And it's like, I don't even take offense to it. It's like, this is what I love. It's like, there's all these groups that are working independently, but at the end of the day, we all still come together and share our findings. It's just, we're all cooking on specific stuff. Like, whether it be certain color combinations, certain strategies, like there, or, or whatever it might be. And I just think that's great that now we're really having basically teams form, for lack of a better word. Yeah, where. Yeah, where it's just like, okay, there's these like-minded people who either like this deck or this subset of decks. Usually it's a subset of decks, because before we always had these deck-specific discords, but now it's like, oh, we're working on this. And then they'll start inviting like me and Zane to their server, because it's like, oh, you guys like Turbo. We need a stress test. Like, get in here. You know, and it's I really am loving what I'm seeing. It's just like, 
throughout the board, and I love that I'm not even necessarily a part of a lot of it, because it felt like before, when it was such a small pond with, like, big fish in it, it's like the same people were involved in every discussion. And I love, like, Freedom Waffle, I think, is a great example. They have their own little testing space. They are doing a lot of great stuff. They are winning a lot with Brass Dargo, a deck yep. that I never was never on my radar until they started playing it. And guess what? A bunch of people in there, sir, they're really working on Dargo. And I think that's dope. I don't ever really want to brew Dargo. Just because <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah. my interest. But I yeah. love that these people are seriously taking it. Uh, they're taking it very seriously. And not only that, they're going to tournaments. Like, they are trying to stress test. It's like, what are our good matchups? What are our bad matchups? Let's get practice games. Let's hit up this other group because we know that they like Grixis. And let's see, can we keep up with the Grixis decks? And I've just never seen this before in CDH in any capacity it was always these really big, like, either uh, gameplay servers where it was just a mixed bag, like, some games were good, some games were bad, or it's, like, overly hyper-focused where it's, like, oh, we're only talking about this one version of Dargo. But now we have all these great minds coming together, forming their own spaces, and just really helping come to good conclusions. And not shockingly, those are the people who you see in Top 16. It's either the person who made the, those spaces or the people who are working in those spaces. Like, for instance, not to toot my own horn, but, like, at Festival of the Nights... People in top 16, Zane, Ben, Shauna, Jorman, all people who are in the same testing group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, obviously that's an East Coast event, so you can say something like, oh, it's biased, like, of course, but whatever. It, we're seeing Shauna top everything. We're seeing Zane top a lot. We see Ben doesn't play a ton. Every event he's been to, he's top 16 or one. Crushes. <laughs> Crushes. It's insane. And it's not a coincidence. <laughs> like, these are people who are practicing together, and as much as Variance um, has something to do with it, the same names aren't popping up on accident. And I think people need to start seeing what are these people CDH's doing differently. It's not all variants. Yeah. Uh, D-Train made a comment underneath whatever I was saying on Twitter about my cookout experience. And he was like, basically just being like, yeah, I mean, you got variants out, whatever. And I was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. If I was better at CDH, I would have been in top 16. Like, I had a good enough performance that it's not like I just picked the wildly wrong deck where I never had a chance. If I was better at CDH, I would be in that top 16. I had the tools to be in top 16. At my disposal, I chose not... Well, I, I could have. I chose not to because I don't politic enough. If I if I was better at politicking, I honor... Like, whatever, an Ian, a Koval, or whatever, I would have been in top 16. I truly believe that. I had the tools to be in top 16. I'm, I'm very open about when I don't think I had a chance because I either, you know, screwed it up at the deck building table, screwed it up as far as, like, my gameplay, like, my head wasn't in it that day, whatever. I was firing all cylinders, like, mechanic-wise that day. If I could have incorporated a little bit of politics, I'm easily in top 16. Who knows what happens from there. And, um, yeah, I, I think that CDH is a skill-intensive format. It's not all variants. It's not, like, like 25%. Sam's talked a lot about what your expected win rate of the best players in CDH should be. It's not even close to 25%. I do believe that's true. I think it is a lot closer to 50 to 60%. And I think that, you know, to the extent that matters. But I think that we're seeing CDH actually finally be a competitive format because competitive formats are done that way. People form testing teams that are small, manageable. Testing teams past about eight people are useless. Useless. If you have more than eight people with just like giving input at all times, it's just a mess. And when we formed a testing team for Punt City the first time that was like really restrictive and like really only a few of us, there was a lot of people that were very offended. They were not allowed in. Like, I don't know if you yep. remember that, but that was a true thing. And it, it comes from this culture where there was these just open forms where everybody's opinion was kind of held at the same weight and everybody was allowed to have, like, join whatever. No, that is not how it's done. These these 
cult leaders for decks, horrible. Not good for deck development at all. Like these, that's not how competitive formats operate. Competitive formats let the cards do the talking, and the tournaments are what actually dictates what's successful and what's not. And the way that those are tackled are in small testing teams, strike teams. You know, obviously you do want to get a lot of other opinions like Twitter and maybe bigger discords and stuff like that. But when you're talking about people that you're regularly playing with, regular testing with, you want to keep it pretty small, actually. You still want a diversity of opinions, diversity of people, but you can't just you can't just have these giant monolithic discords full of a ton of different people, of a ton of different skill levels, a ton of different commitments to success in the game. That matters a lot. And we're seeing kind of organically this exodus from what matters are these deck-specific, really, really narrow discords and into true testing teams. And that is what is going to be required of people that are going to be successful in this format consistently. And uh, it's really cool to see. It's really encouraging to see. This is very much what my vision for CDH was for where it should be and what it could be given enough you know, tournaments and, and tournaments worth playing, worth competing for. And us seeing that now, it's really exciting. I mean, it, like, frankly, it makes me want to grind. I, I can't for a host of reasons, but it makes me want to grind. Yeah, it makes you're, me. You're, you're a busy yeah. lad with all the 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 Sasser Zoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have so many animals and things. But it's just so, it's so awesome. And I am a tinge jealous of all of the grinders able to just go play all the CDH events and and do it all every single weekend because this is a really special time in CDH if you are someone that enjoys, you know just competing and yeah I, I, we talked a lot about how things have changed where things are going and next week everything we said is still going to be partially true at least but maybe you know not even entirely true even next week and that is so cool is like we have all these theories all this information all this stuff you look at back at this podcast a month from now and where we stand it could be completely different and that's that's not something cdh had in the past and maybe he's ever had at any point in time and it's 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 awesome so those of you listening to this podcast uh you know I, i'm so much jealous of you as well because you are here for a really awesome time in cdh it was not always like this and uh, yeah and yeah, something i'm particularly excited about on top of all the things we talked about sam black is going to come to the ak in atlanta Whoop. and i am beyond excited to see what they bring to that i have no idea what they're cooking or what they're planning to bring because right now they've only been going to like more of like smaller local LGS events, but now it's like it's an AK. There's actual That's stakes funny. on the line. It's a 200 person event, and I'm so excited to see what he starts cooking. I'm also excited to see if he can start to pull some of his um, grinder friends into the format and see what they. Because we we talked about it a million times. We are so far from what actual solved commander looks like. Like getting people like Sam Black into the format, we might start to actually get take steps into figuring out what's actually solved. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll start to take steps at least into what the best decks look like. But, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's, it's not a secret that with some of these grinders have been entering and things are starting to change again because, you know, the ideas they have are so impactful. It's it's really cool. And, yeah, I'm excited to see what Sam cooks up. Good luck to everybody in, else in the top four. Uh, I don't think you have a chance, but maybe you do. You can always hope that <laughs> Sam Mulligan's to zero or whatever, but I'm not optimistic, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, either way, that's all I got for today's episode uh if you are looking to hop onto any kind of platform and yell at mikey 
about how dumb he is for revisiting Anala and that deck's garbage and give 2020 its deck back or whatever. Mikey, where can people do that? Um, you can do it through the Miscast Twitter, or you can do it at Catan Enthusiast. There's no N, it's just E-T-H-U because I can't spell. Uh, that's where I'm at on Twitter. Otherwise, you can hit me up on Discord, MikeyJH72. Um, in like the Mox Masters Discord as well as the Eminence Discord, so you can find me through those channels and ask me any questions. All right, awesome, awesome, awesome. I I, I will make sure to do explicitly that. <laughs> if you're looking to find me, you can of course find me as always in the Playing with Power Discord. I've had some few people ask me questions there. Great place to do that. You can find me on Twitter X whatever it is at viral underscore Drake, and you can yell at me about whatever you want to yell at me there. I can't promise i'll respond depending on you know how wild you're yelling but you know i usually respond to things when people add at me and of course you can find me on moxfield viral drake no underscore if you want to see what uh i've been cooking up there uh, a few people have done that as well actually and uh you know i've gotten a few comments on my decks and i think it's been a really a really nice way to engage uh with some of the community as well when people are looking actually unironically what i'm looking at and that's really cool so, yeah, that's what I got. That's where you can find me. That's where you can find us. And, of course, as always, find us on Twitter at the MiscastMTG. And, uh, yeah, we'll, either one of us or both will respond there as well. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.